As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. As a sales and marketing entrepreneur, podcaster, and author, Scott Mulvaney channels his health nut, adrenaline junkie energy into everything he influences. He is fueled by the values he learned from firefighting, duty, respect, and integrity, and incorporates them into his trifecta of fire-inspired brands, including FuelUpMarketing.com, his charitable organization, FuelFoundations.org, and his lifestyle brand and podcast show at LiveTheFuel.com. Welcome, Scott. Good morning. This is Mark Madison on Books and People. I am excited about our guest this morning. Scott, and I hope I pronounced this correctly, Mulvaney? You are correct, sir. Ah, man. So uh, where did we meet, Scott? Upstate New York. Fairport. Yes. Oh, good. I forgot the name of the city. I just remember the name of the event. <laughs> and uh, do you remember what I said to you when I walked up? Oh, I was speaking to another sales pro. And it was something, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was, I think I was trying to figure out if you were trying to get a dig on us. Or it was just a matter of uh, opening up the conversation because we were talking about health things and other things. It was a very interesting timing because you were going around setting up the tables with because uh, you were about to present in the next like 20 minutes. So, right. I think I said, dude, you're fit, man. What's your secret? <laughs> That's right. Because actually, the gentleman next to me was even leaner than I was. Uh, right. And yes, yes. A couple of that, fit guys. Yes. I do remember that. And, and obviously, you actually connected with us on a great backstory of your own journey of transformation. Right. So. Yeah. So, uh, dude, I read 50 pages of your book this morning and oh, uh, I, I, I can't put it down. It's fantastic. Well, I'm so, honored that you think so, since you are a multi-author and that's well, only my first book. <laughs> dude, I got to tell you, for a first book, it's pretty darn good. Uh, what is a hot shot? Well, and why did you commit book. two years of your life to becoming a hotshot? The simple answer, I was bored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the more defined answer uh, I could expand on, but obviously to also answer the, the second part of your question, what is a hotshot? That was the point of writing the book, So You Want to Be a Hotshot, because until I got bored and then decided to make the decision to go do that profession, I didn't know what it was. And it took two years, even after being hired as a hotshot, you think, oh, you're hired, you're a hotshot. No, no, no. It took two more years to really help me understand uh, the role of one of the elite wildland firefighters, uh, which again, I don't know if that title really exists around the world. There are amazing wildland firefighters in other countries as well, like Australia, Germany, and uh, other countries. But I know here in the USA, if you are a you know federally hired 
wildland firefighter, either with the BLM Bureau of Land Management or the USFS, the US Forest Service, like I was working for, and you are hired onto one of these elite crews, you are either known as a hotshot, which is what we did, or you're a smoke jumper. The smoke jumpers are the ones who skydive in. The hotshots are the ones that go into the deep remote uh, regions of the mountains that have the training to do so. Yeah, the sky jumpers doing reconnaissance, right? And then they communicate what needs to be done, and then you guys come in. Yeah, the smoke jumpers are, I mean, their pack tests are a lot heavier than our pack tests in, in military reference, since they also have to have their gear plus the chute. So, right. And uh, you're carrying like 45 <laughs> pounds, and they're carrying like 80. Yeah, they're like 80, 90. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, so when you got people complain about a pack test, I was like, well, you could go be a smoke jumper. So, you know, and you guys are. It. A, a true the, the, to my way of thinking the true measure of a of a hero is somebody who runs in when everyone else is running out hmm. and that's like what you it. guys do we did we did and you did it for two years yeah and you thought you were fit until you became <laughs> a hot shot I, oh yeah i was already well actually i hadn't even found out what the heck the whole quote uh crossfit thing was back then uh because this is back in well, I found out, I, I started learning what a hotshot was educationally between 07 and 09. Uh, from and then Shasta. I, I, yeah, from Shasta. Yeah, you got that far. And then thanks to her opening my ears and eyes to it, that's what it just became an obsession in my free time to start studying it and thinking about it. And then obviously I served in 10 and 11. So uh, now, I Did you work at T-Mobile before or after that? I can't remember. That was before. Oh yeah, yeah. My cor my, all my corporate life stuff was before that. Yeah, you got had, a degree in marketing, right? What do what do marketers yeah. what are they doing running into fires? Well, yeah, that comes up immediately in your interview when you're trying to convince a superintendent of one of these you know rare elite crews to hire a guy not just with a business background with a marketing degree and psychology degree, but also somebody who was born in Jersey because, hey, you're an East Coast guy and wildland fires don't really happen on the East right. Coast. <laughs> right, you're like a Navy SEAL on the land. Something like that. Actually, you know, we never, part of that culture, which I'm sure you can relate to is, they didn't really talk like that. Like we weren't, it wasn't a big like, uh, ego trip anything else that's why i love books from like former navy seals and green berets and everything else there's right. there's a there's a humbleness there and that that profession taught me that those two years i talk about that in the book too but uh i didn't really hear that until that movie came out a few years back called only the brave mm. which uh, was obviously the story of another Arizona-based crew, actually, that I used to serve alongside of before they died, uh, the Granite Mountain Hotshots, who, who were killed in 2013. And that was mentioned in the movie. And I was like, huh, uh, I never thought about it that way. I'm honored to even be referenced in that title because, to me, the Green Berets are, and, and Special Forces and the SEALs are just, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's They're the, the best upper, upper the echelon. Best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so. and you, you really, the, the term hotshot in your book is a metaphor. Yes. You can be a hotshot in any industry. But what I'm gathering from reading it is that you're in the top 4%. Yes. Right? You're 20% of the 20%. Yes. I mean, to be fair, just based on numbers, you, there's only, back when I served, it's probably still the same. Well, then again, with this job market, 
I don't know if this, it might be less. Uh, there was on average about 105 hotshot crews in the entire USA, and they're only 20 men or women strong. So just there, I mean, and if you watch the news or anything, well, I mean, there's thousands of wildland firefighters out there, you know, hell attack people, air attack, uh, the regular type two ground crews, hand crews, volunteers coming from the East Coast, you know, city style crews, and then learning to be serve as a wildland firefighter just to backfill additional labor. But in just the hotshot realm, 105 times 20, you know, it's that's there's your there's your there's your hotshots during the summer season. So right. You got to be fit to do this. And you were already fit before, but you kind of learned a different level of fitness. I mean, you've been <laughs> an avid bicycler for years and since mm-hmm. you were a kid, right? Oh, yeah. Big cyclist. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of pull-ups, lots of push-ups. But this, I don't think anything prepared you for this level. No. And I, I mean, it's funny because when I was younger, I think I mentioned that in the book too. Uh, I I did really good on those, uh, actually not even good. I mean, I did great on those ASVAB tests that they gave you in high school. Right. And President's uh, Council on Physical (laughs) Fitness. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I got, (laughs) I got slammed by military uh, my senior year. Like everybody, I mean, like my test scores were high because I was a farm kid. So I had very good aptitude. I was very well balanced. I wasn't just one of those kids who just took, you know, college prep courses. I went to a vocational technical school and studied technology and everything else. So I did very good on that test and they wouldn't leave me alone. And I was like, I don't want to work for any of you. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. So I was like anti-military as a kid. You rebel I, without a cause. Yeah. yeah See, I, I didn't I, become a rebel until after I joined the military. <laughs> well, there you go. And then it's like, okay, I hit my 30. No, actually, yeah, I, did, I was 30 years old when I became a hotshot. And, and these guys like, are all in their 20s. So you were like the old guy, but you were a rookie. And they were literally calling me the old guy. So, And yet <laughs> you were the number one guy after all the tests and all the... I always made sure I was in the top three. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, especially, so on the, especially on the pack test, because it's it's the mindset. It's not the right. physical. So yeah, it's not the forty-five or sixty pounds. It's the it's your attitude. Yep, mental fortitude. And you're you're pretty fit. Uh, what do you do now? I mean, obviously, you know, to maintain that level of fitness is a hot shot. But from a workout standpoint, what do you do now? It's funny. I probably work out less, uh, but not, but in a different way. So like, uh, actually I was, I was at a, uh, a local mountain biking club, uh, meeting last night. So I've always been an avid mountain biker. I'll never give up the bikes. I mean, right. I my pole barn. There's probably six bikes hanging on the wall, road biking, mountain biking. Uh, yeah, you, know, you had two of them mounted on your Subaru. Hell yeah. Well, that was, yeah. One back then it was just one road bike, one mountain bike. So, uh, when your life fits in a car, you still got to put stuff on the roof too. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and a little mini trunk up there too. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. What what they call those things, the coffins, uh, those, uh, (laughs) yeah, but my coffin was built for life. So, (laughs) so why did you write, why did you write this book? I mean, it says, it says, so you want to be a hotshot. How one hotshots escape into America's burning wild lines will ignite transformation in your life. So what was your purpose uh, behind writing the book? Yeah, well, besides my now wife telling me, find new stories, uh, <laughs> which I love and appreciate about her. She's like, I, I okay. She's like, I get, yeah, it's 10 years ago. People know. I'm like, all right. She's like, I was like, fine, that's it. I'm going to write a book. You know, that way I don't have to tell a story. I was like, just, just go get the book and then you know what I did. <laughs> So that was the, the short answer on that. But the, the key word out of that little tagline was the transformation. Right. I realized that 
you know, after that, I was very, even after that experience, I was lost trying to find my way back into, you know, quote, normal society, like no longer being a, a hotshot. I, I yeah, did for civilian. two years. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, it left such an impact on me. I underestimated the psychological ramifications of like, Hey man, like I'm not dating. I'm not in relationships. I'm living with 20 other dudes. You know, you're serving two weeks at a time in the mountains, 16 no hours. No shower shifts. for two weeks. Yeah. yeah you know, you, you, you smell really learn, bad. You got to learn some new ways of, and then, then, yeah, then you pack <laughs> yourself in a crew carrier with more of these dudes who haven't showered. And it's like, woo, it's fresh air. Uh, uh, doggy. <laughs> you get to learn all these types of body odors. Uh, but, but anyway, after that, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? Do I go back to my corporate life? I had a great resume. I had the degree. Uh, you know, do I start picking up contract work? All these things. And, and it took me all those years of that and then becoming a sales professional again and then becoming an entrepreneur. And then adding podcasting in was really a game changer that led to the book because I got used to, you know, wrap it on the mic like you and I are doing right now. And right. And learning to become more truthful and transparent and letting the walls down. And my wife helped me do that. I mentioned her in the book. She was not happy that I put that in the book. She's not a very public person. And I said, well, sorry, you're part of this transformation. And but you're again, naturally curious and that's part of what drives you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that tra I think transformation, that, that it's just, it's a word that stands out to me. It's why I put it in the tagline. Cause I feel that nowadays, even more than ever, there's more and more people out there looking for either that personal transformation or their own career professional transformation. You know, just like when you, you were speaking at that event in New York, uh, not too long ago, it was like, there's professionals in that audience that are still transforming, right? They still, we, we all still have stuff to learn. So yeah, they're caterpillars waiting to become a butterfly. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, you know, I, I got to put it all down. I, I got to see, you know, maybe there's a book in me. And unfortunately, I know a lot of editors and a lot of authors now, thanks to podcasting too. And basically all of them said the same thing. They're like, you need, you need to put it, you need to finish your book. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, that means I would have to start it. <laughs> they said, well, get to work. <laughs> well, it's a shade tree that you get to sit under. Yeah. But and it's, it's as and it makes you immortal. I mean, that sounds arrogant, but it's not. Long yeah. after you and I are food for worms, yeah. my great grandchildren will be sitting under a tree reading one of my books. Well, it's funny that you say it that way. A key word that, uh, if you want to consider the caterpillar to the butterfly, like you mentioned, was what popped out of me from getting the book done, uh, or at least moving it towards editing. It wasn't even out in print yet. Was that the message of legacy. So right. I'll connect with you on the same topic, but I'm going to go with the word legacy. I realized like, wait yeah. a minute, what if this book does well? Or what if my story of transformation could motivate or inspire somebody to take more risks to, to their own future success? And I was like, well, if just one or five people or, you know, or, or obviously thousand benefit from this, Let's let's get it out there. And that was well, my. I, I got to tell you, man. It, you know, if you read fifty pages of this book and you're not inspired, you don't have a pulse. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. It was like I, I'm reading it. I'm going. I suck. I got to get to the gym. I mean, you know, it's like. <laughs> oh come on! I know you're hitting the gym, so don't don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going today, but you know, and I think yesterday I walked like seven miles in the airport. But nice. yeah, it's. Uh, 
you, uh, one of the things I love about the book is you, you have these great quotes at the beginning of each chapter, and I do the same thing. And I think the quotes kind of set the tone for uh, what's to come in the chapter, right? Yes. And you can thank, thank my editor for helping me figure that oh out. Oh, <laughs> my God. And you, you quoted one of my heroes, and nobody knows who he is because this guy was real popular in the 80s, but he's been dead for years, Leo Bascali. He says, death is a challenge. It tells uh, us not to waste time. Yes. Yes. Oh, what a great quote. TikTok. That's man. interesting that you connect on that one. Interesting. I, well, I wonder if it's just because it was the 80s thing. But uh, uh, well, Bascalia was one of those guys. He was big into hugging. That was his whole thing. And his, his message was all about love. Yeah. Right. Well, and that was part of this profession. Like I realized, like I, I mentioned in the book, too, I was like, you know, I, I went like just full bore into this not thinking about the impacts to my family or my closest friends who may have been worried about me. And it, until, until like one or two really, really dangerous fires that I was on was like that wake up call. It's like, Oh, I could die doing this. Right. <laughs> but I didn't and think some about guys that. Do. <laughs> and they do, unfortunately, right. The grand amount of hot shots, may they rest in peace. 19 of the 20 uh, perished in 2013. And it's like, mm. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I could die. And, and yet you quote John Muir, who's one of my heroes. He was friends with John Burroughs and Teddy Roosevelt. Mm, and Muir yeah. was a pioneer and a genius, right? But he says, into the forest I go to lose my mind and find my soul. Yep. Like, as you said that, I still get chills. Like, I, get I know. chills on the connection on that. Yeah, I literally am chilling up over here. <laughs> I can feel the hair standing up on my forearms. Like, that's one thing I love about quotes, by the way. Is yes. when you find those right ones and they, it, depending on where you're at in your life or where you're at and let's say reading a book or just where you're at that day or that week or that month, they're, they, when they hit, they hit hard. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a good feeling. It's a when good Charlie feeling. Jones said to me, you'll be the same guy in five years, except for two things, the books you read and the people you associate with. Mm -hmm. I literally fell over. It was yeah. like, What? And of course, that's the name of this podcast, but that quote changed my life because it begs the question, what am I reading and why? And who right. am I hanging around and why? And moreover, is that in alignment with where I want to be in five years? And if yeah. it's not, then change it. I agree. I'm halfway through reading the 100 greatest books ever written. Partly oh, wow. to make up for my misspent youth. I just ordered uh, 1984. I just finished Fahrenheit 451. I mean, these strong are, work. Oh, and 451. Bradbury was a genius, right? These guys didn't put out fires. They started them, right? <laughs> yeah. What if there was a culture where people burn books? What? I mean, right. it's just such a great story. So uh, Teddy Roosevelt's one of my heroes, right? And TR, oh, yeah. TR was uh, an outdoorsman big time. He wrote 31 books, all on different subjects. Uh, he was a genius. He really was. He read a book a day. But he became friends with these guys that had the same passion. The John Muirs, the, the John Burroughs, those guys were, were pioneers in their field, right? And the fact that you quote them, and I guess it's hard not to talk about the outdoors and not bring up John Muir, but that begs the question, who were some of your mentors? Yeah. Um, it's funny. Well, the brand that I ended up creating after the firefighting, uh, which is the name of my show, Live the Fuel, is actually an acronym. So one of my early inspirations was Ernest Hemingway. 
uh, uh. because one of his famous quotes was live life to the fullest. So when I left to be a firefighter, that was a huge, like I had the sticker on that coffin roof box. I had the sticker. I, I'm big of a sticker junkie. Um, it, Cause I like whenever I'm traveling, or I, I finish hiking a mountain or I finish a mountain biking race. Like you're always looking for the swag, right? Like, well, yeah, it's, it's funny how stickers stand out. I'm also a huge like a badge big, of big honor. Scare. Yeah. You know, and after firefighting, I was like, dude, I, I, I'm living life to the fullest. And it was a, like, this is cool. Like, because you, you kill yourself in the summers, you know, 2000 hours in just six months and they lay you off. So for two years, I got to be the vagabond and say, well, if I don't want to work in the winter, I don't have to, because I already killed myself and all the money was going right into the bank because I'm stuck in the mountains. So I can't right. spend it. Nowhere to spend and... <laughs> it. Like a military guy, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, dude, I was bouncing all over the country, hiking 14ers, you know, uh, like that's my whole, that's why I fit my life in the Subaru. Like I did because, you know, there's a chapter on my bag system. I just pull a duffel bag out. I'm like, Oh, this is a perfect climate and weather right now for biking. Cool. Or hiking or camping. Cool. Oh wait, I'm going up into that mountain and ski season. Great. Let's pull the ski bag out. Let's get the skis off the roof. Let's go skiing. Stuff like you're that. You're an REI junkie. Yes. Yes. That was that's my a Seattle company. I sold those guys a maintenance agreement years ago. Dude. What a, what a great company. Great company. Great company massive flagship store in denver colorado uh by the way super super cool place um there's a yeah, climbing wall in the one in seattle yep and, and also one in denver yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's and you get again to try out your gear after you buy it yeah well, that, well that's the beauty of it you try it out before before you even leave the store i right. mean it was great and actually that was perfect for me because well after firefighting i fell in love with colorado because we fought a fires up there. So I, I moved there right after fire and lived there for a couple of years and got really big into rock climbing. And obviously mm. that store was in my backyard. So it's a, it was a no brainer, but and then all of that. So over those next few years, you said about Ernest Hemingway, that was one of my influencers. Right. But I mean, his own quote then transformed thanks to my, all of a sudden my marketing brain started reawakening. You know, like I wasn't just all in on fire anymore. And, and then I created Live the Fuel, which is an acronym. It stands for Live the Fired Up Epic Life. So I figured out I need my own Ernest Hemingway quote. Yes. And that was like, I literally, I remember I had this crappy apartment and I went and bought a pack of Post-it notes. And I took every buzzword keyword that meant something to me and I slacked them up on the wall. And then I just sat there and kept looking across this wall for days and then trying to figure out how to build my own acronym and power statement and all these things. And I had, I had a whole, I mean, I wish I see, I journal more now. I wish I journaled more back then because I'd have them all, <laughs> but that's where live the fuel came from. And then next yeah, you're you know, singing my song with the journals. Yeah. man. Yeah. Hemingway also said he had a sign on his desk. It said, write as well as you can every day and finish what you start. Hmm. Well, and the big thing there is finish what you start. Yes. That was another great quote because I fell in love with the firefighting concept so fast, thanks to that Shasta girl, that I was like, that's it. I got to finish these courses because I was back in school on nights and weekends doing this psychology marketing thing. And I was like, I can't leave until this is done. I was like, when this is done, let's go for it. Right. So it became this like deadline, like this goal thing. I'm like, my friend's like, if you want to go out and be a firefighter so bad, just go. And I'm like, I can't do it. I was like, I got to finish this chapter before I move on because I don't want to have any regrets. Right. I got to get it done. So, Well, do you think being a farm kid 
made it easier to embrace the three values you talk about in the book, duty, respect, and integrity? You know, I think a lot of that, well, pure hard work was farm kid life, right? right? Hands down. Um, the, the duty to, you know, take care of your animals and also be do right by your family. Sure. Um, the respect was, was definitely drilled into me, man. I still remember to this day, one time I actually said the F word in front of my mother. Woo! <laughs> you want to see how strong your dad is. You can fly. Yeah, man. So, uh, my dad never hit me, but he picked me up one time and threw me across the room when I was that, 14. That and was he it. looked at me and he said, if you think you can take me, go ahead and stand up and try right now. Yep. Yeah. And I was uh, like, uh, I was like a buck 50. Right. So, yeah. and he's six, four and about two fifty. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, my dad was in, in his den in the office and I didn't, I, I, the door was closed and I, I forget what I did to say something F this or F that the door came flying open. My head jerked and I'm like, uh Oh, <laughs> and he didn't hit me, but he picked me up Yeah, and I landed in the next room. Uh, and where, where the dogs were in the mudroom, and I slid in, and my dogs went running. They're like, "What's happening?" Because they've never seen anything like that. And I was up. I opened that mudroom door, and I was out running across the lawn, like the roadrunner. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, "I'm out." <laughs> oh, that's but again, really... back to respect. So yeah, there was probably some early training there. Yeah. Um, but those three words are actually a part of the the firefighters' bible. It's in actually the handbook, and until serving they truly didn't mean a ton to me but we were i was constantly reading uh i mean whenever we were on the road trips from fire from this state to that state i was always reading so it was, right. i always had a new book in the bag and i was always re going back into the our you know our firefighters you know bible so to speak because we always had to be up on these things because this methodology is what keeps us alive it keeps us all safe it's not just for me but it's also for my fellow brethren that we're serving with and then obviously after this all uh, experience the duty, respect, and integrity. I mean, it's literally tattooed on my ribs. I had I had a tattooed on my left ribs uh, a few years ago. Some people were into tattoos, some people are not. Um, but I decided I was like, these will never leave me, and why not make them permanent? So, <laughs> so I tattooed them on my body. My wife it's wasn't a, happy. It's with a that. creed. <laughs> I remember it, reading it the very first yeah. biography yeah. I ever read was Ted Williams, and I was thirteen. And he said, somebody asked him, you know, why he worked so hard to become a great hitter. Mm. And some people argue he was the greatest hitter in baseball uh, for a variety oh, yeah. of reasons. But he took three years out to be to fight in the Korean War. And had he had he not done that, he would have broken all of Babe Ruth's records. And last guy to hit 400, right? Just right. And they said, what drives you? And he said, when I'm done playing ball, I want people to say, there goes Ted Williams, the greatest hitter in baseball. Mm. And that was his creed. It's a hell of a his, creed. Right? And I thought, what, what if I said that? There goes Mark Madison, the best speaker I've ever heard. I thought, that's not a bad thing. So I wrote that down the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tattooed it on my ribs yet, but give me, I'm a baby boomer, so I, you know, I may get around to getting a tattoo. I don't know. I don't um, know. I mean, you don't need to rush right into it, but I mean. No, no hurry. Yeah. No, I already had a that. couple before that, so. See, that, that, <laughs> but that speaks to your generation and my, mine. I, I, I teased my son the other day because he got, he, he had a creed on his arm and then he just recently added a bunch of waves because he's really into surfing. Nice. I go, is that a permanent thing on your arm there, son? 
He goes, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, you know, I'm not done yet. I'm going to go all the way down the aisle. I said, okay. Yeah. So that's just, that's the generational thing, right? John Lovett said uh, every 35 years, the world changes. Well, it's funny because my old professional world was still influencing me. So uh, I started off with a Celtic cross a long time ago on my spine. I could cover it up, right? Then, you know, from firefighting, I put a giant phoenix on my back to symbolize this this rebirth through fire. And that was how I originally didn't want to, you know, forget about this. That was a 20-hour a project. Um, Did that yeah. hurt? <laughs> yep. So That's what I hear. Yeah. See, I, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of a coward. I, I don't want to go through that much pain. I, Dude, I, I'll, I'll get one of the temporary ones, you know, that you stick on with water, but it's, it's, uh, it tingles, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, that's like saying uh, I was in a Lamaze class and, and, this, uh, and then the nurse was going through, you know, how much pain it's going to be and all that. Mm. And this guy stands up and he was a professor or something. I don't know. He was an academic guy. And he goes, we don't like to use the word pain. We use mm. the word pressure. And really? a woman spoke up and said, Hey, I'm working on my third kid. Let me tell you, it's not pressure. It's pain. Yeah. You have no idea. <laughs> we, 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 as men never will. Uh, no. And to, he, he yeah, wilted yeah. like a, you know, uh, like a plant with no water. As he so, should have, as he should. So, right. So segue into books. What books had an impact? I know you read a lot before you wrote this book. Oh man. I mean, well, it's funny to prepare for the fire. I'm, I, I'm turning around and looking at, I've, I've scaled my library back a couple of times only because of moving and right. Um, but there's ones that you just can't get rid of. So like just on the, in the world of fire, there's a great book called year of the fires. And that was a, uh, the history of a wildland firefighter from 1910 from wildland firefighting when it was created, it didn't exist like before 1910, but in 1910, like basically half the country was on fire because the droughts were so bad. And I mean, you could just have a railroad a train just going down the rails, throw sparks off the rails into a forest and boom, you know, half of Montana is, is lighting up. It was, it was that bad <laughs> because they didn't have the resources, the implementation, anything else back then. So I love history. And I was like, I need to like, this is how deep I went into this, this hotshot thing. I'm like, okay, I need to understand the history, what, where to come from, what's involved. Like when I, when I dive into something, it, it, I'm all in. <laughs> and, um, a newer book that came out is called On the Burning Edge. I, I highly recommend that one. So you read a lot about it before you kind of jumped in. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just some history. And I'm just, I keep looking around here because there, I mean, actually, that's a newer book, but I love David Goggins, man. I mean, I love that book. I don't know if you read it or not. It's, he's got a hell of a backstory, <laughs> obviously, you know, with the seals and everything else, but He's he's become a pretty good influencer online nowadays with all of his um, his public speaking and everything else as well. But I think I read that after Fire though. Did you read The Big Burn, Teddy Roosevelt on the Fire that Saved America by? Uh, oh Canadian? yeah, yep, yeah. Actually, I realized that's missing because I gave it to a woman that I met here a couple of years ago because her son uh, wanted to. She she had been friends with me on Facebook. And she saw my story and that I was going to be putting the book out and she followed the podcast. So then she, she messaged me and she's like, Hey, I actually wasn't her subject, a nephew. She's like, my nephew's really interested in maybe becoming a wildland firefighter. And I said, give me your address. I was like, I'm, I'm going to send you a book. And I said, tell him it's a gift from me. And he could reach out to me anytime. I left my cell phone number and all that. And, 
And uh, so that was a book that I sent them. I forgot. I, I forgot. I even sent that to them. That was a great his, historical piece to really oh, understand that the fire impact. was devastating. I mean, 35 mile an hour winds and I don't know how many millions of acres. And it was the worst natural uh, fire disaster in history, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of bad ones in history. <laughs> right. I think I think according to that book in that time, absolutely. Right. Um, I mean, God, I couldn't I'm put just... it down. It was, a client gave it to me and it was like, well, what do I want to read this for? And I, I said, well, I'll just read 20 pages. And I couldn't put it down. He, not, not just because he's a great writer, but because of the devastation. It was unbelievable, you know? Well, I think that's what people underestimate. Mother Nature, um, if I may say it this way, she's a she's a fickle little bitch uh yeah. and 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 if you don't respect her she will show you how it is right we're <laughs> and humbled that's, that's by crazy the power yeah. that she possesses yeah i mean my friends that were in military they thought i was crazy going to do this and i was like dude you get shot at <laughs> and they're like right you're trying to tell mother nature what to do and I was like, well, to be fair, we were not trying to tell Mother Nature what to do. He's like, okay, fine. You're trying to control her. I was like, well, yeah, I guess that's a little accurate. We were trying to, you know, get around her and control these, these, uh, these situations. You can't obviously, I always, that was the biggest lesson I always shared with people was you don't actually stop a wildfire. You, you try and get around it. You know, that's your cutting hand line. That's a big part of like hot shots are like a freight train with hand tools, man. We just we'll, we'll pump out a mile of hand line in no time. Um, but it's a well oiled machine. But that's the point is you're just trying to create a fire break around it just to contain it. Yeah, it's not so it can burn itself out. Right. Yeah. You're not a, you're not putting a wildfire out. You could put a house out. You could put a house fire out. You could put a commercial building fire out eventually. Uh, but in wildland, you're not putting it out. I mean, the largest fire I fought was uh, over a million acres. Wow! In in 2011, it stretched. How long were you there? Well, the funny thing was, because again, you only get so many live fire days, right? So we were only there for a week because we already had a bunch of fire days on our roster. And once you hit 14 live fire assignment days, you you have to take two days off uh, for health and recovery, and then you're right back at it again. So I mean, two days doesn't really give you a lot, but. Uh, you're, again, you're calendar wise, you're allowed 14 live fire assignment days. Now, now you could have other days mixed in there where you were staged for a fire or you were, you were assigned to another state and maybe there, you hadn't been put on a live fire day. So sometimes we might be traveling for three, four weeks at a time. Uh, but that, on that fire, I remember we were there for a solid week and they had, there was already crews working it. So it wasn't a, a new start for us. We were coming in to reinforce it. Right. And they had lost the whole division. And we had to we had to cut in a whole new hand line down a mountain ridge because the prior mountain ridge before failed to contain that perimeter and mm. it, it jumped another half mile. And that's the crazy thing about wildfires, right? Like you start talking it things jumped. in, yeah. you know, hundreds of acres, thousands of acres. Oh, it jumped a half a mile. Like it, like, it happened <laughs> uh, a week ago here in Washington and Highway Two. It jumped across the index there. There and, you go. Uh, my wife, we have a condo over there. We had to go around the other way. Hey, before we run out of time and we're almost there, how does someone get a copy of your book so you want to be a hotshot? You just go right on Amazon. Uh, actually, I bought a few URLs to make it easy. If you go to hotshotbook.com, that goes, that'll take you directly to the listing for So You Want to Be a Hotshot on Amazon. It's available in print and Kindle. And 
like you, because I travel too much, I am still trying to finish the audiobook because I will not hire a voiceover person. No. It's got everybody has told me it has to be my voice. Right. So no, I agree with that 100 percent And I'm behind. I have to record two books and I'll I'll get it, I'll finally get it done in December. See? Okay. All right. So don't feel so bad. Yeah, right. So don't, <laughs> don't feel so bad. Don't, that that hammer you're hitting yourself over the head with, I'll go ahead and hang on to it until uh I appreciate that. Oh, by now, the way, I have to give you a quick plug, though. As soon as I left that event, because um, I did actually listen to uh, a couple of your books, but I didn't. I hadn't actually listened to It's About Time and Freedom from Fear. Yes. I finished both of them on my trip back to Pennsylvania from that event because wow. I listened to Audible, but I've been listening to audiobooks for so long. I just yeah. speed it up and yes. I, can, I can digest the content. <laughs> So I ripped through both your books on just that road. I think it was like, I had like four, four and a half hours to get home. I mean, I crushed a ton of content. I, I, I lie. I definitely finished the first one. I got halfway through the second one. And then the next two days finished that other one. So, uh, because I was just, I was very moved by your content. And I was like, dude, I have to get through the rest of his books. <laughs> Thank you. Well, in, in the inscription you wrote in the book, you said, I, I traveled 30,000 miles a year windshield university is real yep and uh, you know i'm obviously a huge proponent i got sixty thousand hours logged uh, since 1989 and it's it helped make up for my misspent youth oh right so I mean, part it's... parting shot my friend we got one more minute uh <laughs> what advice would you offer somebody who wants to become a hot shot and i mean hot shot in the metaphorical sense get ready to get humble uh buy my book or somebody else's book about wildland fire and learn the power of relationships. But the biggest thing is, is be, get humble and get ready to work hard. If you yeah. want to work hard and you want to get, you know, put in your place day in and day out, <laughs> then it's the job for you. <laughs> well, Scott, I knew the minute I talked to you that I not only wanted to have you on as a guest, but I knew we'd be friends for a long time. So I really appreciate your time. I appreciate yours. Yeah. And don't forget, you have to come on my show now. Hey, send me an email. We'll figure it out. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate this, sir. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans. <laughs>